Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Sunday service here at the Free Community Church. Uh, we are so delighted that you have taken the time to worship with us this morning, whether you're here uh, on-site or whether you're joining us uh, online this morning. Um, if you're here on-site and if you're online with somebody, would you turn to your neighbor and just wish them good morning, you know, uh, pass the peace, uh, say a word of blessing on them. Uh, uh, maybe let's not do the very traditional, like, kiss them, you know, as part of that ritual, unless you really know them very well and from the same household and there is already negotiated boundaries, but otherwise. Um, yes, uh, welcome everyone. Um, so this morning, uh, we are really, really excited uh, that we are, can all come together for a time of worship. Uh, because also we have got, you know, we continue our sermon series on speaking differently. And later on, we have got a very special guest preacher, which Pauline will come up uh, to introduce as one of our own uh, people. But we haven't heard from um, this person for many years already. So looking forward to the, uh, the, the sermon. But to prepare our hearts for a time of worship together, if you're willing and able to, would you rise uh, as, you are, as you can? Uh, and as you will, to join us to respond to the call to worship this morning. Hungry for meaning? Welcome, Welcome home. home. Thirsty for purpose? Welcome, Welcome home. Yearning for comfort? Welcome, Welcome home. Burning for challenge? Welcome, Welcome home. Ready for learning? Welcome home. Eager for serving, welcome home and welcome to worship. On that note, if you are willing and able to, please remain standing and join our worship team for a time of worship this morning. i 
forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. Who the sun sets free, always free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I Your constant in your love 
Will you join me in a time of prayer? God, you who are constantly running after us, we, your children, who sometimes wander off on our own, perhaps rebelliously, perhaps mm, ignorantly, but now we come to you. We come to you in a time where we struggle. For some of us, we might be going through difficult times. For some of us, going through personal issues in our lives, health issues, issues at work, 
issues with relationships, issues within our families, we come to you. We come to you knowing that you will comfort us. We come to you for reassurance. We come to you knowing you love us. God, strengthen us now. In the, even in the midst of all that's happening in Singapore, especially in the midst of the misinformation, mischaracterization, and misrepresentation of the LGBTQ community by our siblings in Christ. Help us love our neighbours, even when our neighbour has harmed us or vilified us. Allow our lives and how we respond to be testimony to who you are, God. May we exemplify through our words and actions to reflect the teachings of Christ, of compassion, of love, of justice. Help us minister to those who are wounded and hurt by the church and angry at what the church at large has done and still doing. God, we wonder how this issue of sexuality has become the key issue the church wants to talk about when there is so much brokenness in the world that needs the church to speak about, to lead the world in, to live out its core. The church has not and done little to call out an unabated greed that hurts us all and hurts creation. The way that petrol companies make huge profits during this time when they seem there's always this, the, the, the talk about shortages because of the Russian-Ukraine war. And yet they are making money. And yet the people, majority of people, struggle to make ends meet when prices keep rising. The church has spoken very little about how we should react to the record temperatures and the heat waves that are all over the world this summer. I think the, the church has a role to play in leading all of us forward in how we care and steward creation. God, wake us up. We pray for the Russian-Ukraine war that continues. Even when we have been, become weary, overwhelmed and numb at the news, the suffering of the people who have lost loved ones, their homes, for them, everything is real. We must remain committed to be peacemakers and not warmongers. God, COVID isn't over. May we continue what we have learned during the two years, how to care for one another, how to pay attention to people who might be struggling alone. May we reach out 
when our friends, neighbors, colleagues fall sick? May we continue to love in that way. And God, we pray for the monkeypox pandemic. Like many other pandemics, this has been used to justify prejudices that have been long existing. Racism and homophobia continue to raise their ugly heads and scapegoating vulnerable communities. God, wake us up. Encourage us. Strengthen us to do what the church is called to do. From the prophet Isaiah, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. God will not grow tired or weary, and God's understanding no one can fathom. God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young people stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Trust in this people of God. Trust in who we are called to be. Amen. If I could rewrite your story of love for me I would not forget those moments of doubts If I could rewrite your story of love for me I would not erase those times of struggle Those moments of doubting myself and blaming you for all my brokenness Those moments I wrestle myself And you for the answers For a little hope Then I will remember When you became real to me When you would not turn when you would not turn away I will remember I am an anchor of love I am a beacon of hope for you Write your story of love for me I would not forget those moments of doubt If 
I could rewrite your story of love for me, I would not erase those times of struggle, those moments of doubting myself and blaming you for all my brokenness. Those moments I wrestle myself and blame you for the answers for a little hope then I will remember when you became real to me when you would not turn away when you would not turn away I will remember I am to you and so I saw that I was born free when you touched me on my side when my eyes were open to you and so I saw that I was born free then I will remember when you when you would not turn away When you would not turn away I will remember I am an anchor of love I am a beacon of hope for you I will remember I will remember When you became real to me When you would not turn away Good morning, and um, this morning I'm going to introduce our guest speaker for today. But before I do that, I just want to bid you a warm welcome. Uh, I see a lot of faces out there, some I have not seen for a long time. And it's such a joy to see each one of you. Uh, I see quite a few of our siblings also from the Mandarin ministry, and I know that you just came back from your retreat recently, and I heard that it was a really great, wonderful bonding experience, and I'm so thankful. All of you, each of you have been in our prayers and we will continue to pray for you and we thank God for each one of you. And so today, we are really delighted to have David with us uh, who will be del delivering the sermon. Um, David has uh, been in FCC for quite a few years. He and his wife, uh, Wendy, and their two kids, Emmett and Sophia. 
And uh, David also is serving on the board currently in FCC. But beyond that, <clears throat> more importantly, I think one of the things I deeply appreciate about David and also Wendy is that they have been relentless allies to the LGBTQ community and especially within our community. They have been amazing in the ways that they have stood up, spoke up, and really just embodied God's love, not just within this community, but also to people who have questioned them about why they're even in FCC. David actually has this one page, right, list of things, right, reasons, uh, different points that he makes when people interview him, right, and say, why are you in FCC? Why are you in that LGBTQ affirming church, right? And he shares, um, both he and Wendy have shared their journey about how God has led them from their own positions, their own points of view, and has transformed them over time in, in their lives. And so I've been always so blessed by the both of them and by who they are and what they stand for. One of the things that makes David uniquely qualified to speak about today's sermon, which is the titles on parenthood, is that he's an amazing, a wonderful father. And I think that he will bring so much insight to us about the parent heart of God. So, will you welcome David together with me warmly? So, good morning. Um, thanks for having me to speak to you today. Uh, I guess some of you have seen me up here as the service leader or serving communion. Um, I don't often get to preach, so it's quite an exciting thing, privilege for me to do that. A bit scary as well. <laughs> so hopefully I don't put you all to sleep, okay? <laughs> all right, so um, we're in the midst of a sermon series on speaking differently. And last week, Pastor Gary spoke about how we can know the character of God through the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus invites us to address God in prayer as Father. Uh, so I guess this is something we all know pretty well. You know, Jesus is the Son, God is the Father. But this is the question. Exactly what kind of Father is God? Okay, so this question is important because when, especially when we read the Old Testament, sometimes it's easy to get a rather misleading picture of God as a judgmental, angry, and violent parent. And today's lectionary passage is from the Old Testament. It's from Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. And it offers us a different view of God. In this passage, God seems to be speaking differently, revealing an emotional and a vulnerable side. So here we get a glimpse of God's heart, which has always been full of love. So we're going to read the passage, um, but first to set the stage, just some historical facts, because we don't often read passages from the Old Testament and it can be a bit foreign to what we know about. So a little bit about Hosea. Hosea was a prophet who lived in the 8th century BC. So that's in the 700s BC. And um, his writing was mainly directed towards the northern kingdom of Israel. At that time, the kingdom had been split into two. So the northern kingdom was also known as Ephraim. Ephraim was one of the bigger tribes there. And under, in that time, the Ephraim was under King Jeroboam II, and they were experiencing a, a period of great prosperity and wealth, which was good, but they were just about to enter a period of political turmoil. And 38 years later, that kingdom would be wiped out by the Assyrian Empire. So this is what God was saying to them at that time through the prophet Hosea, and God is speaking in the first person here. So let's read this passage. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child... 
I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the Most High they call, but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord, who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Dear God, may you speak to us today through your scriptures that we may get a fresh glimpse of who you are, how you feel about us, and how this can transform us from the inside. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, okay, there's a lot to unpack in this passage because it's referring to a socio-political context 3,000 years ago. Okay, in this respect, it would be like people in the year 5,000 looking back on our time today. So you just imagine that wide gulf of time. So we need to do some work, right, to put ourselves into the mindset of Hosea and the people who he was speaking to. But at the same time, there's, there are some things that are very relatable about this passage, right? The love of a parent and a child. So through this ancient and surprisingly relatable text, I hope we can get a multifaceted picture of the kind of parent that God is. So I want to bring up three points today. God, the tender parent, God, the grieving parent, and God, the sacrificial parent. And just one note, as Gary mentioned last week, at FCC, we try to avoid gendered pronouns for God, because God is spirit. God does not have a biological gender. But in the Bible, God is typically portrayed as male, because the cultures that wrote the Bible were patriarchal. So in this sermon, there might be some places where I refer to God as father, but if it's helpful for you, you can also imagine God as mother or parent. Okay, so first we see God, the tender parent. So in verse 1, God says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So this is talking about uh, the history of Israel, where Moses led the people out of slavery and oppression in Egypt more than 600 years before this, the writing of this passage. So at that time, Israel was like a little kid, a young child that God had adopted and needed to protect and nurture. Right? God gently led them through the wilderness, leading them with the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. And 
God gave them food from heaven. God gave them manna and protected them against the armies of Egypt. So this is God saying, I taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down and I fed them. So this is an amazing picture of God, right? A God who is intimately involved in the care and the nurture of his child, right? And now when you talk about cords and bands, this is a very interesting metaphor because it refers to ropes, which would normally be used to lead animals or lead captives, right? And they're being forced to move along, dragged along by force, you know, without any choice in the matter. But Hosea is flipping this image completely around. Hosea is saying, that's not how God leads us. God doesn't lead us by force. You know, God doesn't lead Israel by force. We are free to depart from God's leading at any time. But God is still drawing us, guiding us, and we follow not because we have to, but because we want to, because we know God is kind and loving. So I love this passage because it reminds me of when my own daughter, Sophia, took her first steps. And you can see some pictures there. Um, we were, at the time, my wife and I, we lived in Boston. And when our kids were small, we didn't have any helpers or parents to help us. We just had to do it ourselves. And we also both had to work full-time. So we were often just really exhausted, sleep-deprived, a bit cranky. But yet, in spite of that, the experience of being a parent changed me forever. I'll never be the same. Because I discovered new depths of love and feeling in me that I didn't even know existed before. And it's not exactly the same as being in a romance or being married, because even in those kind of relationships, there's some, at least some mutuality, right? You, you can give, but you also receive love. But in the case of a baby, when they're really small, they're totally dependent. They can't give anything back initially. They just need round-the-clock feeding and care. And as a parent, right, it's all joy just to give and give and give. And the only thing you want to return is to see your child growing and thriving. So I think during those years, I came to understand more about God. I, I came to understand that the way I feel about my kids is only a tiny fraction of how God feels about me and about you. See, God loves because it's in God's nature to love. God says, I am love. Right? Without demanding recognition or appreciation, without needing you to do anything or be anything other than yourself, this is how God loves us. But why then is it so hard to believe this sometimes? Okay, so the truth is, we are all God's children, right? At FCC, we often say, free stands for first realize everyone's equal. And by that, we mean individuals, including lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender persons. They're all individuals of sacred worth created in God's image. But sadly to say, the church has often failed at communicating love and care to our LGBTQ siblings. And the metaphor for parenthood is therefore not an easy one for a lot of us. Right? We've been let down by those who are supposed to love and protect us. And for many of us, our parents have expressed their love in ways that felt controlling or manipulative. Asian parents, right? in particular, they're not known for being affectionate or encouraging. I mean, I was just walking outside the other day and I saw a, a mom and her two kids and the daughter was running to the bus stop, but she ran the long, a different way, or maybe she ran the wrong way, you know. And the mother was like, hey, why are you so stupid? It's like, wow, this is what you call your kid, right? And then on the MRT, the kids, some kids crying, 
the parents say, oh, it's so shameful, everyone's looking at you. Right? This is, I guess maybe a lot of us have experienced this kind of thing growing up, you know. And in the eyes of our parents, the harsh criticism, to them, it is an expression of love. Okay? And they, they think, oh, we're actually doing this for your good, right? To help you, to grow, to teach you, you know. And they think, oh, I don't ever need to say I love you because it should be obvious, right? I'm providing you food and shelter and all these years of sacrifice. But to us, right, it's painful and the damage is done. And it may take us many years to overcome those feelings of inadequacy, feeling like we're not measuring up. And the painful words that our parents have said to us, they may play over and over in our minds and they hurt us over and over again. And then on the other side of over-controlling parents, there's neglectful parents, narcissistic parents. Maybe our parents were too busy to spend time with us, or maybe they weren't even around, or perhaps they never listened to us. They were too busy lecturing at us, or they were too interested in themselves to ever take the time to understand our thoughts and our feelings. Or perhaps they always had to be right. Even when they were wrong, they could not admit it, they could never say sorry. Or maybe they had an obsessive need to be thanked and appreciated. Like if we were just a little less than enthusiastic with our words of thanks, they get offended. You know, suddenly you see this coldness, silence, you know. Or maybe they had very high expectations for us to be a certain way, to achieve academically or socially. And when we failed, we were criticized and made to feel unlovable. Or perhaps we had to hide our opinions from them hide our sexual orientation or our gender identity because they couldn't accept, they just couldn't understand that we're not the same as them. Or we may have different ideas or different hopes and dreams. So the list goes on. And this is because parents are human beings. They're flawed and broken just as we are. And as a parent, I have also made many mistakes. I mean, there are a few times I lost my temper at the kids, shouted at them. And even years later, right, the words I said to them in anger are still embedded in, like splinters in their hearts. And I know because they remind me, you know, they said, do you remember when you said that? And I realized I really hurt them. And in those moments, I actually had to say, I'm sorry, you know. I'm, I'm also a human, and I try my best. But so in, I guess in God's time and by God's grace, we hopefully are able to understand our parents, maybe even forgive our parents. But the problem is, we tend to carry this broken image of parenthood into our relationship with God. So we don't see God accurately. We, right, we see God as maybe distant, indifferent, or controlling, or judgmental, because this is how our own parents treated us. So I invite you today to take any hurtful words your parents spoke to you and lay them down at God's feet and rest in God's arms. Okay, take any ideas that you can only be lovable if you meet expectations, because that's not true. Okay, realize that God's love for you is greater than you can imagine. So Romans says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you see that picture up there? That's the stained glass that I drew. It's on the wall. And I drew that to represent God as a mother, embracing us as God's child. Right? So this is God, the tender parent. And I, I just 
pray for all of us that we can let God's love transform our hearts until we know without any doubt that you, me, we are beloved children of God. And to the degree that we understand this is what God's love is like, it's unconditional, tender, involved, and invitational. To this same degree, we can learn to love God in return, to love ourselves, and to love others in the same way. So now we come to point number two, God the grieving parent. In this passage, God is emotionally wounded that in spite of God's care, tender love and care, the Israelites, they did not respond in kind. They had barely even left Egypt when they started worshipping a golden calf idol. And 670 years later, they've gone even further astray. Now they're worshipping other gods, you know, as they say, the Baals, the Asherahs and all that, not recognizing the goodness of their parents. And God says to them, the more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the Most High they call, but He does not raise them up at all. So the words Most High here could be referring to God because God says, okay, your, your worship is not sincere. You know, you're going through the motions, but your heart's not in it. So God doesn't answer. But it could also be referring to Baal because Baal was the, one of the major pagan gods in Canaan. Uh, and this Most High God also cannot save them, doesn't answer them. So in verses 5 to 6, Hosea prophesies the deserved consequences for Israel. They will return to slavery, to oppression and defeat. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities, it consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. So Egypt here, right, is not uh, literally going back to Egypt. Actually, they left Egypt, and, but what it means is a return to bondage, a return to slavery. At the time of, their, of this writing, Assyria was actually the major power in the world. And um, the northern kingdom had formed a military alliance with Assyria. So they thought, okay, no worries, we're good, right? Big brother got my back, you know. But it wasn't long, right, before they actually fell into turmoil. Like within this next 38 years, they actually went through six different kings. And then one of the kings betrayed Assyria. So Assyria came and destroyed them. So this was just 40 years later from the time of this writing. And of course, Hosea was looking ahead and expressing God's grief and inner turmoil about what was going to happen. And God's saying, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? You know, how can I destroy you like Adma or treat you like Zeboim? So Adma and Zeboim, right, were two smaller cities. If you read back in Genesis, you will see that they were destroyed in a major natural disaster along with two other famous cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God is expressing a very human emotion of internal conflict. Right? You could think hey, God, God doesn't change God's mind, right? But this is God sort of saying, actually, on one hand, I want to be compassionate, but on the other hand, I know you guys are going to experience severe consequences. So I'm torn, right? So we need to pause here because this raises a few difficult questions. Firstly, why does God hate idolatry so much? Right? Is God so jealous? so insecure? And then what is God's wrath? What is God's fierce anger? I thought God was supposed to be a God of love and compassion, right? And then how, is God punishing them with war and exile? So how does that square? I think we've just been saying God is love and compassion, right? So, 
and forgiveness. So how does this all come together? So let's tackle these one at a time. Firstly, why does God insist that we only worship God? Okay, when you see this through human emotions, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, you know what people, right? People who want to have all the attention and garner all the praise, who want to be constantly the focus of everyone's admiration and everyone's stroking the person, fawning all over them. Those kind of people we think of, they're massively egocentric. So how can God be like that? When God's demanding that we praise God all the time, is God being insecure? Is God morally defective? So let me offer an explanation. First of all, God doesn't need anything from us at all. But God knows, right, when our hearts are resting in God, we are living in shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for a state of wholeness, a state of peace, right? And this is good for us. So when we move away from this alignment, we fall into negative patterns which hurt ourselves and hurt those around us. And God doesn't want that for us, because, not because it offends God, but because it ultimately hurts the ones He loves. So this is the love of a parent who wants only the best for their children. I guess it's like God saying, look, you, you stay near me, I can, I'll keep you safe. But if you run away, you hurt yourself, I've, you know, I don't want that for you. Right? So this is why God asks us to trust and worship God. So for the Israelites at the beginning, God was trying to establish a unique relationship with this particular group of people, ancient Israel, through a covenant of love and trust. And God wanted to bless them, and through them, to bless the nations, to show the world what shalom could look like, where people live in harmony with one another and with their environment. But time and time again, the Israelites, they didn't want any part of it. They didn't feel that God was reliable. It was much easier for them to just worship the local deities, the Baals, the Asherahs. This was a way for them to exert control over the weather, harvest, and fertility. And then when they made alliances with Egypt, alliances with Assyria, other major powers, this was another way for them to exert control in the political realm. So it's just what everyone else in their neighborhood did. Right? It was common sense. But essentially it meant that they felt God could not be relied upon. They had to take matters into their own hands. And so this is the essence of idolatry. To worship something or someone other than God, as though it were God. And worship comes from the word worth, you know, like the word fellowship, friendship. It's worth-ship. That means you ascribe worth to something. So when you place your trust in something other than God, you are worshipping that thing. And so what does it look for us, like for us today? Because we are not worshipping figurines of clay and these little idols. At least some of us are not. <laughs> um, but we, have, we may have bought into the cultural narratives that surround us. So just as the Israelites were influenced by their Canaanite neighbors, it's really easy for us to accept what our culture and what media are telling us will bring happiness and fulfillment without God being in the picture. So to put it another way, an idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. So when I, was, uh, when I was 13, my parents, uh, this is me at, when I was much younger, my parents sent me overseas to attend a boarding school in New Zealand. And so when I was there, I quickly learned that being smart or being academically accomplished, that was not very cool. Okay, you had to be good at sports, or most of all, 
you had to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That's what made you a cool person. But I wasn't a very, uh, I was actually quite a nerd, <laughs> um, and I couldn't find anyone who would date me. So over those four years there, I guess my values were shaped quite deeply, and at the age of 15, I remember I decided I had only one goal in life, to find a partner and get married. <laughs> this was the only thing I wanted to do. And I pursued this goal passionately. But many times I, I failed, I despaired. I mean, there were even some occasions after getting rejected by a girl I liked, I even considered taking my own life. So at that moment, God didn't matter. The, the thing I wanted was too important. So fast forward a few years, eventually at age 20, I met my beautiful wife, Wendy, in college. She's in the front row. <laughs> and we started dating. So at the beginning, I recall I was trying to control all sorts of things about her. I was trying to control her clothes, her hairstyle, her hair length, even the way she walked. I had comments on that. And I realized, okay, I was very insecure. I was trying to turn her into a trophy, right? to use our relationship as a means to gain the respect, the admiration of my peers, and most of all, to feel good about myself. So it was in that relationship I thought I could find significance and purpose, but ultimately it was all about me. I was doing it all for me, right? And this was very unhealthy for the relationship. So I can only thank God that eventually I recognized that through, with her help, and I let go of all that teenage mental baggage, right? It took years and years to, get it, to let it go. And I can say, happily to say, we're still married after 18 years. <laughs> so, so maybe that's something that resonates with you, or maybe it's something else. Because in Singapore, we are taught to trust in our academic credentials as a means to achieving career success, to obtaining respect, status, comfort, financial security, luxury. These are things our culture just tells us to strive for. And there's actually nothing wrong with any of these. Right? God gives us what we have to bless us, for us to enjoy, but they're not meant to fill the deepest needs in us. So when we turn to these things, problems arise in our hearts. Right? When you see someone getting angry at home, maybe, or in public, you can be sure that somebody has threatened something in their heart, one of their idols. So when you anger, irritability, verbal outbursts, these are just indicative that something in the heart has gone awry. So if you ever react, when you react to someone, you have to ask yourself, what is it that you are protecting? What is it that you think you must have? Or when you're despairing over a situation, like you feel all hope is gone, what is it you fear you cannot live without? So when Pastor Myak preached some weeks ago on identity, he asked the question, who are you? What makes you who you are? See, idolatry is not only bowing down to statues. It is anything that means more to you than God does. It's manifested when getting what you want has become more important than what God desires for you. So simply put, Anything that you are loving, desiring, or serving more than God is an idol of the heart. So I invite you today to examine yourself, and I speak to myself as well. Right? Has anything in your life become a source of self-worth and significance for you? What do you hope for and trust in more than God? If anything's coming to mind, and maybe you can mull over it over the next week or so, it may be time to surrender that to God. But how do you do that? 
Well, I'll give you only one thing. First of all, remember that you are God's precious child. This is who you are. And being especially loved by the creator of the universe is what gives you infinite worth. You don't need to do anything or have anything or be anything to earn that. That's the first step in loosening our grip on the things that we are clinging on to. Okay? So we come now to the next of the two difficult questions. If we know that anger is a symptom of our idolatry, then what about God's anger? And if we are precious to God, if God's people are precious to God, then why must God punish them with war and exile? So again, we, are, we tend to view God's emotions through a human lens, and we, we shouldn't be doing that. Right? As we said earlier, human anger is almost never applied in a righteous or restorative way. The main reason we get angry is because we are selfish. Our rights have been trampled on, our desires have been thwarted, our ego has been bruised, and our goal is to get even, to hurt, to destroy. So anger may be less selfish okay, when you see injustice being inflicted on someone else. But anger is only righteous when the byproduct is justice, restoration, and love. So we don't see this very often because uh, in this world, right? So that's why, excuse me, the speaker is weird. That's why we misunderstand God's wrath. So from the point of view of the biblical writers, this is one of the ways that they made sense of the terrible events that happened to their nation over the centuries. So as much as the Bible is the word of God, the Bible is also a product of human culture. Right? It's written by people who had certain worldviews, who had certain outlooks, and even certain agendas. And so when they look back on the history of their nation, all the terrible things their nation experienced, they, they read meanings into that. They ascribed specific meanings. They said God was punishing them for breaking their covenant. But from our point of view, we could say, okay, maybe there was some post-rationalization going on. Right? Because sometimes there were bad kings and they had a perfectly fine time. And sometimes there were good kings and then something they ended really badly. So you can see it's, it's not a one-to-one, every time you do bad, you get punished. It wasn't like that. Right? Sometimes bad things happen for no particular reason. So when the writers look back on that, they say, ah, well, that was because we were worshipping idols, God was punishing us. And you see preachers still doing that today. Right? Every time there's a tsunami, earthquake, hurricane, some preacher will say, God is punishing those people. Usually it's because of politics. <laughs> right? and, and this kind of thinking can be very, very harmful when it's misapplied. For example, preachers were saying the AIDS epidemic back in the 90s was God's judgment on the gay community. And more recently, people have been saying monkeypox is a judgment on the MSM community. Okay, these statements are wrong, and they create real harm. It creates the perception that those infected have sinned and deserve their punishment. And it increases the stigma of those who are living with HIV or AIDS. So we have to be careful when we're tempted to rationalize both good and bad events in history and in our lives. Don't jump to conclusions, right? Because sometimes the meaning is obvious, but sometimes it's not. And know this, the God revealed through Christ does not punish us. Let me say this again, God does not punish you. God has never been punishing you and never will. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they do, they do not know what they are doing. This is the heart of God. Okay, so yes, we will suffer, and sometimes it's because of our own doing. We bring it upon ourselves. 
Okay, like maybe you've been there, I've been there, you know, you've, we've been some, maybe mistreating someone and the relationship broke down. Or maybe we've been eating too much food and then our health was impaired as a result, right? We kind of brought it on ourselves and we experienced the consequences of our actions. But don't see it as punishment. See it as an invitation to reflect and to grow. Okay, other times we suffer maybe because someone else is harming us or there's broken societal systems. And sometimes it's totally for unknown reasons. So at those times, also know this. The main thing is to trust, to trust God. No matter what happens, God is good and loving. And in Jesus, God has shown once and for all that God is willing to enter into our suffering and suffer alongside us. My favorite book of all times is The Shack. It's a pretty old book. But if you haven't read it before, I highly recommend it. In this book, God is speaking to a person who has experienced a, a humongous tragedy. But God says to this person, just because I can work incredible good out of unspeakable tragedies doesn't mean that I orchestrate the tragedies. Don't ever assume that my using something means that I caused it or that I needed to accomplish my purposes. This will only lead you to false notions about me. Grace doesn't depend on suffering to exist. And where there is suffering, you will find grace in many facets and colors. So in Ezekiel 33, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Right? So in Hosea says, I am God and no mortal. Right? God's anger is not like our anger. God is grieved when we harm our environment, when we harm others, when we harm ourselves, because God loves us. It's the pain a parent feels when their child is willfully engaging in self-destructive behavior. You kind of want to alleviate their pain, but maybe you also know they have to go through it to grow and to learn. I mean, a, a really good parent doesn't overprotect their kid, you know. You have to let them fall down sometimes because that's part of the growing process. So God is the Holy One in our midst. No matter what we have done, God will not push us away. God always, always draws us near and desires that we do the same, that we draw near to God. So we are coming to the end now. The third thing we see about God, God the sacrificial parent. So at the end of this passage, it says, They shall go after the Lord who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, says the Lord. So God is making a promise here that the destruction of God's people is not the final word. God will roar like a lion to bring God's children back home, just like a lion roars and the cubs come running. Right. So the people in Hosea's time, unfortunately, they did not live long enough to see this promise fulfilled. It was not till 150 years later that the Persian king Cyrus allowed the Jewish exiles to return to their land. And for some of them, including the northern kingdom, they actually never came back because they had already been assimilated into the places they were exiled to. But 500 years later, a boy was born in Israel. And this boy was called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So when this child was very small, the parents had to flee to Egypt to protect the child's life. And this is what the Apostle Matthew writes about, uh, talking about the father of Jesus. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. So of course, this boy was Jesus. 
and he too would weep over Israel, just as God does in Hosea. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. So in Jesus, we see this continuation. We see the same heart of God, the tender, grieving, and sacrificial heart of God. And Jesus would give his life on the cross to show just how much God loves you and me. This is the full extent of God's love for us. So we come back to the question I asked at the beginning. What kind of parent is God? This is the kind of parent God is. A parent who will go to any lengths to bring God's children home. And not through cords that bind, not through force, not by shame, not by guilt. God is not going to force you into submission. God is inviting you into relationship through love, through kindness, through sacrifice. And God is persistent. As we sang before, after all these years, you've never given up. God never, never, never gives up on you. And God's grace through Jesus has the final say. In the passage, it talks about trembling doves. That's talking about how vulnerable we are in the face of God's overwhelming power. But this is not a power that is used against us. This is a power that is for us, to rescue us, and to bring us home. Thank you. Come to a time of Holy Communion, and for folks at home, uh, take a quick moment to prepare the elements so that we can all partake of the meal together. We gather each Sunday at this table, even though at this time we're not all physically together. The table of God's feast transcends time and space, because God's love transcends all boundaries. So this table recognizes no boundaries. Here at FCC, we celebrate an open table. This means you do not have to meet any criteria. You do not have to be a member of FCC. You do not have to be baptized. And you only need to recognize that God's grace is sufficient. The cross is two lines intersecting. The cross is where sorrow meets joy. Where pain meets healing. Fear meets faith. Death meets resurrection. Hate meets love. This, this table, table is, is at the intersection where, where two lines meet. meet. This table is a declaration that love is stronger. Love is stronger than hate, stronger than death. This table where we break bread is the table of love, the center from where love flows. This, this table, table is one of awareness, awakening, of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of salvation. Of, of love. love. With grateful hearts, we break the space of history to share in your vision of sharing at your table where all are equal, all are free. We, we ask you to bless this bread and this cup. Through this meal, make us the body of Christ 
that we may join with you in promoting the well-being of all creation. Amen. Remember on the night when Jesus and the disciples had their last meal together, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. He gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat it. And as often as you do, remember me. In the same way, he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to the, to the disciples. He said, Drink this, all of you. This cup is a new covenant poured out for you and for many. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. May I invite the stewards to please come forward to help distribute the elements of which we all partake together.
God bless these simple elements so they will nourish and strengthen us in body and in spirit. Let's partake the elements together. May I invite you to stand in body and or in spirit to join this prayer if you're willing and able to. All together, Lord, make, make us, us instruments of your peace. Where, where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there, where there is injury, pardon. Where, where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where, where there is darkness, light. And when, and when there, there is sadness, sadness joy. O oh, Divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Good morning, church, and once again, uh, thank you for joining us for the Sunday service here at the Free Community Church, whether you are here on-site with us or online. So first, I just want to say a big uh, welcome home to everyone, and I also want to say especially a big welcome home if you are brand new uh, with us. Now, today, we're actually having a newcomers meeting right after the Sunday service, so if you're here on-site, you're welcome to stay back and join us for that. It gives you a chance to meet with the pastors and the leaders of the church and being able to um, you know, get to know a little bit about the church and for us to get to know about you and how we can uh, meet your needs and minister to you. Uh, but if you're brand new with us, we would love to be able to reach out to you and find out how we can serve you. Um, one way to do that is to go to that QR code uh, on the screen or to fcc.la slash welcome and leave us your details. Promise that we will be there to walk with you and to serve you and not to spam you. I uh, just want to also say a big thank you um, to David for that incredible sermon. Um, you know, I think that the, I was very blessed by it. It was brought us a perspective of God as parent that can only be spoken because you, a person has gone through parenthood themselves. Um, how many of you were blessed by it? How many of you all want David to preach more here at FCC? <laughs> okay, I think that was unanimous. Um, and uh, if you're online, you know, please spam the chat now, okay? <laughs> More David. <laughs> please let us have David again. And uh, we'll make sure that he gets your feedback uh, for today's sermon. All right. Um, we now come to a time uh, where we are going to worship God uh, with our giving. And, um, you know, as David reminded us um, in the sermon earlier, uh, you know, um, God wants, just as God wanted to bless the people of ancient Israel, um, so that they could show the world what shalom looked like through their lives. God wants to do the same through us. And actually, as um, 
uh, I was going to say Pastor David uh, was um, <laughs> preaching. Um, it reminded me of a passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, which says exactly the same thing. Um, so 2 Corinthians chapter 9 um, and verse 8, uh, verse 8 says, God is ready to overwhelm you with more blessings than you could ever imagine. Because God's ways is not our ways and not the way that we see the world, right? So that you'll always be taken care of in every way, in every way and you'll have more than enough to share. And the one who has put seeds in the hands of the sowers and bread to fill up our stomachs will provide and multiply the resources you will invest and provide an abundant harvest from your righteous actions. And you'll be made rich in everything so that your generosity will spill over in every direction. And through your generosity, it inspires praise and thanksgiving to God. So one way that we are, and one of the reasons why we are all blessed is to be able to be generous and so that when God sees our lives and the way that this community witness to the world, they see God and they can praise God and give thanks for it because of the work that you resource this church to be able to do. This church is now 19 years old and every week, every ministry, every person, every time we come and gather together for service or do a Bible study or be able to meet the needs of, a, of the community out there is because of the generosity of each and every one of you. So I would like to invite you as an expression of generosity and as worship towards our God, um, let's give um, to the offering today. There are three ways that you can give this morning. You can give by good old-fashioned cash if you're on site. You just raise your hands in a moment and the ushers will come and collect it from you. Or you can join us to give by PayPal, by QR codes, or by credit card at church.give.asia. And for those who are giving by credit card, you will earn the points, while FCC has to pay 1.5%. So choose All right. So you join me for, um, uh, you know, to give thanks for the offering and to come together to give this morning. God, we thank you for bringing us a community around your morning. Lord, thank you for being able to see who you are as the generous, loving, sacrificial, grieving parent. God, we thank you that out of your love, you have blessed us with resources to steward our lives and to be generous to one another, to meet the needs of the world so that we can be a witness of what Shalom looks like. So God, we just ask you to bless each person as they give and bless us and help us with wisdom to be able to steward what is given today. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people say, Amen. So if, you're in the, if you want to give by cash, please raise your hands and the ushers will come forward to collect that from you. Thank you. Alright, I have a few announcements for us this morning. And the first announcement is ACE. ACE stands for After Church Events. And we have had two incredible After Church Events uh, already. Um, and we've got a third one that's coming up in this season as we uh, look for opportunities uh, for people to have fellowship together and, you know, get to know one another by doing stuff that is fun together. And on the 21st of August, we have got Kim Jong Day. We're going to be celebrating Kim Jong Day, which is the making of kimchi. Um, in community together. So if you're interested in that, 
just hit up fcc.la/ace and save yourself a spot. Um, I think that the ingredients are about $3 and you just have to bring a glass jar for yourself to take away your spoil so that you can have the kimchi over the next few days and to share it with um, you know, your friends and family. It was really exciting. I'm looking forward to learning to make kimchi, um, especially you know, where I can control the ingredients that go into it and know that all the stuff that's inside the kimchi is good for me and for the people that I want to give it to. So sign up for uh, Kim Jang Day. The second thing that we're also doing to bring people together, and we're doing this once a quarter, is uh, to bring everyone around the table for lunch. So we're going to have lunch together next week. And if you want to join us for lunch, it's uh, free of charge. It's totally uh, up, to, up you know, to, to you for a free will offering. But you know, we want to bless you with lunch. Um, so please register at fcc.la/lunch so that we can make sure that there's no food waste and we're ordering exactly what is needed. Um, and there's also, you know, as you can see here, a capacity um, limitation. Last time round, it was oversubscribed and we had to close it. And we want to make sure that we can get you in for lunch. So please register at fcc.la/lunch and you know, come with your empty stomachs, open hearts. And you know, um, let's be generous in our fellowship to one another, and we'll uh, collect the free will offering at the uh, end of that um, to be able to cover the cost of it. Um, the third announcement that we have is we need volunteers. As you know, um, we are now fully hybrid in our services. You know, um, we have got hundreds of people that join us for the Sunday service every week who are not here physically on site. And in order to be able to do this, uh, we actually have got a production team that consists of many different roles. And if you want to find out more about what goes behind the scenes uh, from the production side of the house, and if you want to volunteer in a very easy way, based on some of the you know, interests that you may see, some interesting areas that you may see as part of production, whether it's the cameras, running the computers, doing sound, or anything that is connected to production, you know, we're going to have a tour uh, where you get to actually sit up there in the hive and be able to see how Sunday services are put together and brought to the people uh, online. Um, the next tour is going to be on the two Sundays from now. I think that that's the 12th of August. Um, so if you're interested in uh, you know, joining us for the tour, uh, just uh, drop us a, a message at info at freecomchurch.org and we'll get in touch with you to make sure that you're invited for the, the tour on the 12th. That's it. So as we close our time together, I'd like to invite Pastor Pauline uh, to give us the benediction. And now, will you rise, um, if you're willing and able, to receive the benediction? God of love, you parent us so tenderly, so generously, so sacrificially. And yet, God, there are times when we are hampered by our own experience of parenthood, of being parented, and we project a lot of our own misconceptions onto you and onto the relationship we have with you. But God, today, I pray that for each one of us, that you'll begin to transform our hearts, our minds, our souls, that we will relate to you in a different way. Just as you have spoken differently into our hearts, help us to respond differently to you. So God, will your Holy Spirit work amongst us 
within each one of us that we may know what it truly means to be loved by you and to be called children of God. So now go, go out as beautiful, confident, children of God to declare that God loves all regardless. And may your love and your, the embodiment of love in your life truly transform. And may our God go with you. Amen. So thank you so much for joining us for service today. To see so many of you. Um, please go out and have a blessed week ahead. And I hope to see you next week.